Welcome to CLCC Online. We pray that this message draws you towards Jesus and strengthens your walk with Him. We believe that we were meant to do life in community. So if you live in the Fraser Valley area, we would love to get you connected into the family. Find everything you need at clcc.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. We are knee deep in a series called Living in Babylon. Now, for, the, for this series, we're going to be digging in and have been digging into the story of Daniel. And our hope is, is that by familiarizing ourselves with his story in Scripture, that we're actually on a journey of inviting the Spirit to transform our own hearts so that we can live and work today in a world that is at odds with what we think is the most meaningful and fully human way to experience life, which is through relationship with Christ and in the building of his kingdom. Speaking of building, I'm afraid that I have a confession to make. I am a terrible homeowner. Now, big picture, it's not really a huge problem for me because I can't really afford to buy a house. But nonetheless, the reality is that I'm not very handy I don't have the desire, nor do I really have the discipline to learn the skills that I know would help me in any myriad of ways. You see, my wife has to beg me to mow her lawn, and it's really just a small backyard. She has to beg me to do it just once a year. When the lock on our back gate broke, it took me four months to drill in two screws to repair it. I am distinctly different from our protagonists and Daniel, who we read are both highly skilled and incredibly handsome. That's a deadly combo. For all their skill and their looks, they were captured by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar as he was campaigning across the ancient Near East at around 605 BC. Sometimes we can have a hard time maintaining our house, but it can be even more difficult to maintain our deeper convictions like our faith. But the good news is this, faith doesn't require skill, but it certainly requires great courage. Now, this is courage, sadly, that God's people didn't have as we get to our story. Judah's king surrenders in fear to Babylon and, and gives up hostages and, and, and they become indoctrinated in a foreign culture to serve a foreign kingdom and to live under foreign gods. And yet, as Daniel's story unfolds, we're going to encounter time and again that, that Daniel and his friends are brave enough to live in the tension of building up the world around them and the people around them while at the same time resisting being shaped by the culture into abandoning their faith. You know, in fact, over the course of over 60 years, Daniel and his crew, they consistently demonstrate great courage. They show us that we can be faithful to the world around us and faithful to God. And so in the same way that they had great influence over their culture, followers of Jesus today are called to live in a similar tension of being in this world, but not of this world. Now, earlier I brought up being a homeowner, and I'd like to return to that. Because as I was interacting with Daniel and, and this tension of living in Babylon, I was prompted by a story of Jesus. And, and maybe you know it. He actually uses it to wrap up his famous teaching in Matthew, his Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to find it in Matthew 7. And, and the story is this, it's a form of parable. 
He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. Now, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, I remember thinking through this as a young kid and being kind of confused. I remember asking the question, you know, why would anyone build their house on the sand? It seems absurd. Like, this is a silly, obviously we're going to avoid this mistake. This seems like a really bad idea. Why would anyone do that? Why is Jesus interacting with this? Now, over the time spent in a life of faith, a little time that I've had on this earth, the, the answer has become a little clearer to me. Jesus is using a simple image, a simple contrast, but it's helping us to bring clarity to complex situations. You see, this image sounds absurdly simple until you end up in exile. It makes so much sense to build on the rock until you're in a place of great temptation. It's actually, in reality, much easier to build a life on sand. There's less pressure and there's more pleasure. Much more difficult then is it to build on the rock, to follow Jesus' invitation into a radical way of life. It takes courage to build on the rock. And I hope that we all want to and desire to build a life on the words of Jesus. And maybe if that sounds easy to you, here's a reality check. It isn't. And it's in times when the building isn't easy that we need courage. Daniel and his companions lived that life, one of great courage. And not only were they able to withstand the hostile environment, they were actually able to build something meaningful within it. Think about that. I want that for my life. And I hope that you do too. To be honest, who who wouldn't? What did they know? Or how were they able to see life in such a way as to stand up for their belief? Well, let's take a few minutes to examine what they knew about God. And my hope is that when we're encouraged by who God is, then we can find the courage to live a life for him. Because the big idea is this, is that a deep knowing of God translates into a deep doing of God's will. When we have a deep knowing of who God is, we can resist being conformed to this world and instead be transformed by the renewing of our mind and that by testing, by being in exile, by living in Babylon, we can discern what the will of God is. So how can we find courage? Well, I want to suggest off the top that we can find courage by knowing that God is writing our story. So we've been interacting over these last few weeks with the opening chapter of Daniel, the setting where Judah is besieged and and the best and brightest are taken as um, uh, political hostages. So a test is quickly set up. And we've touched on it a few times where Daniel and his friends, they want to form a kind of polite rebellion and they refuse to eat a portion of the offered food and wine. So they restrict their diet and are found against all odds the better for it. 
But in the midst of this, what I want to point us to is the perspective of the characters and the author of Daniel. You see, they had a radically God-centered way of looking at the world. Within this whole letter, we see a strong sense that God is at work among the efforts of man and that God is in authority over man. Here are some touch points for us. When Judah was captured, it wasn't simply because Nebuchadnezzar had a bigger army and the backing of an entire empire. In chapter 1, verse 2, we read that God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. When Daniel approached his handler to reject the king's hospitality, it wasn't because of his charm that he schmoozed him into agreeing. Schmoozed a word? I'm going to use it. In chapter 1, verse 9, we read that God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And when the king, at the end of their education, recognizes how much greater Daniel and his friends, how much greater they are than everyone else, it's not their natural abilities that that wowed him or the strength of the Babylonian private school system. The author notes in, in 1 verse 17 that as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And throughout the book of Daniel, we're going to see this pop up everywhere. There's these contests, and they're all demonstrating how God is above human kingdoms and how God is above the other gods, the Babylonian pantheon of gods, and and how it's actually God that gives and takes as he will to whom he will. And it's this worldview that we have to conclude is beginning to give Daniel and can give us the courage to live in faith. I kind of think of it like this. So in my younger days, I played a lot of pickup basketball. And you'd have captains picking teams. Have you ever been part of this environment? So uh, the anxiety is, is that if you get a crap team, you're kind of screwed. And it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long day, a couple hours of, of being terrible. But if somehow I found out that LeBron James was my captain, you know, maybe I'd have made this a hockey analogy, but Connor McDavid hasn't won anything yet, so I'll just throw that out the window. But if I knew LeBron James was on my team, my confidence would be through the roof because I know he's a mastermind and that he's going to control the game and make us all better players. And this is what it is to interact with the sovereignty of God. But we can get pulled out of this mindset really easily, I think, by the overwhelming nature of life. You know, there's so much going on and there's so many ideas and agendas and, and obstacles and objectives. Our, our calendars are so full. Our access to all of the world's conflicts and headlines. It can become impossible for us to wrap our heads around the idea that this all isn't just spiraling out of control. Maybe for some of us, life becomes about our personal ability to either push out the noise or to stretch ourselves to the limit to accomplish as much as humanly possible. But at the end of the day, I know I'm left asking the common questions. Am I good enough to do this? How is this going to work out? How can this ever be made right? If that's you today, you aren't alone. And if that's you, here's some more good news. The author Paul uh, described Jesus in this way in Colossians. He says that all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
Jesus, our Savior, has beaten death and has been glorified at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding for creation, and he's releasing his spirit to transform and equip us. And God is working in all of these things behind the scenes. We can be courageous when we know that God is writing our story, that God is patiently and diligently at work setting this world right, and in all things working for the good of those who love him. How else can we find courage? We can find courage by knowing that God's kingdom is eternal. We want to get this deep knowing. Maybe I'm not alone in in feeling that I want to be a part of something bigger. I want to be a part of something that matters, something that's more than myself. Now, there's this common idea in the ancient world, and we see this in Nebuchadnezzar, where kings would declare themselves the avatars of the gods. And and we see this from Pharaoh all the way through to Rome and and beyond, right? Maybe you wouldn't see touch points like Jay-Z called himself God one time or something like that. And I want to think that, and we can build up this idea that we are going to last forever, that this kingdom is going to last forever. But Daniel gives these ancient kings and their empires a newsflash. It won't. It won't. And as we read through Daniel, we repeatedly encounter these dreams and visions throughout the book. And and there are two that are of particular no. The first one is in Daniel chapter two. And there's this image of a statue made of many materials and it's crushed to bits by a giant stone. And then in Daniel seven, there's this vision of many beasts ruling the earth and only to be usurped or destroyed by the ancient of days. And then the son of man is given everlasting dominion. These dreams, I believe, point to the rising and falling of human nations and the forces of darkness that eventually and inevitably all crumble, and they acknowledge the reign of the kingdom of heaven. Babylon would fall to Persia. Persia would fall to the Greeks, and so on and so on and so on. In fact, our Western civilization, it's not going to last forever, guys. In 1,000 years, we might be having history classes on the downfall of Canada. It's probably because we said sorry one too many times. But over our lives, we're going to feel the pull of fitting into culture because it feels so inevitable, like it's always going to be this way. Or maybe we walk away from God to make a name for ourselves. In all these little ways, we build our own kingdoms, so to speak. We see this maybe in celebrity culture. Rather than being a part of something bigger than themselves, they want to immortalize themselves. In us, maybe it's this desire to be known, but it's manifesting as a desire to be envied or desired. I think this can be a temptation for us when we, every time we hop on social media, maybe we ask questions as, how can I post something that will stand out? How can I be noticed? How can I immortalize myself or my brand? God is showing Daniel and he's showing us that all of these efforts ultimately end up in disaster. Human kingdoms won't last. You see, Babylon itself had a history. In Genesis, there's this iconic story of of, of this building of this great tower, but God sent it crumbling down and they look, look at all that we could achieve, look at all we could do, and God scattered them. And I think something that we deal with today is this push to define our own individual sense of right and wrong. We're our own arbiters of love and justice and mercy. And there's this real push to get to decide what's good and evil on our own terms. 
Life is really about self-discovery and self-fulfillment, right? Look at our advances. Look at everything we've done. Look how connected to our emotions we are. I, sometimes I'm reminded of the Pharisee who prayed, thank God I'm not like other people. I'm enlightened. I'm empathetic. But we need to be careful about what we build our lives on and certainly avoid the temptation to build our lives on ourselves. Similarly, some of the issues that we're facing today, maybe you need to be encouraged. They won't last. The cultural zeitgeists that push us against, uh, push against us rather, to live and think and consume a certain way, where we feel like the world is against us, we should perhaps think carefully and prayerfully about what we jump onto because culture can turn very quickly, particularly in a digital age. Maybe you feel the pull to fit in or to find success on the world's terms. And, and this elevation of self is, is rampant in this, in this cause. Yeah, I should get what I deserve or, or look how good I am. All of these are examples of, of sinful pride that moves us away from, I want to be a part of God's kingdom to, I want to be like God. Interestingly, Jesus, who is God, a man with many honorifics and grand titles, we're talking Christ, Messiah, Savior, Prince of Peace, Jesus would most commonly refer back to the writings of Daniel and call himself the Son of Man. The same Son of Man who would conquer our sinful human kingdoms and through his death and resurrection usher in the kingdom of God. Today, he invites us to be a part of his kingdom. We can actually become co-heirs and inheritors of God's everlasting promise through him. You can find courage in knowing that you are a part of something that cannot be destroyed. We can find courage by knowing you are a part of something that lasts. How else can we find courage? I think as we look through Daniel, we can find courage by knowing that God is present with his people What's interesting to note is that Daniel and his friends were a long ways away from the time of Moses, where God was powerfully present with his people. You know, the plagues, the split river, the, the pillars of cloud, fire, the man. He, in the meantime, you know, Israel had split up as a nation and spent a few hundreds of years acting like fools. And yet, Daniel still had this belief that God was not simply governing things in an abstract and detached way. There's this huge statement that God made to Israel, and we read it in Deuteronomy 31. The encouragement from God is this, is, is to be strong and courageous. Don't be in fear or in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And as we go through our whole biblical story, and I know in my life, we discover that God keeps his promise. In fact, the biblical story makes it clear that it's Israel who leaves God. But throughout Daniel's experiences, God assures us that he is still present to those faithful to him. There are a couple intense encounters. You know, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3, where an angel protects them in the midst of the fire. And then in Daniel 6, when Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, but is unharmed. And we read that an angel is present in that moment. Sometimes we can get caught up in our struggles and caught up in our feelings and feel like we are isolated. And I really think this is the work of the enemy, whispering that you're the only one who knows what you're dealing with, or 
You can't tell anyone else that you're feeling this way or wrestling with this. And the truth is that when we're alone, we become vulnerable. And our loneliness has actually become a global epidemic. What's interesting is that some research, researchers, they did some extensive studies to find out why some companies were more successful than others, right? And what they discovered, that one of the only common threads was something that surprised them. You see, it wasn't their strategy and it wasn't their education that made them successful across all of these different companies. It was actually the proximity of their desks. For these companies, proximity led to progress. But so often in the life of faith, the deepest struggles in our lives, we want to deal with on our own. We don't want to let people in. Perhaps it's shame. Perhaps it's that we don't know any other way. Now, there's this very big movement culturally to get our junk out from the inside. And this is an awesome start. Sharing is a big part of our healing. And this is one of the great values of confession. But often, to be honest, this can become more about validation, not transformation. It's this cultural acknowledgement of, hey, you know, I'm not perfect. This is just the way that I am. We all go around in the rooms like, I'm not perfect, I'm not perfect, I'm not perfect. Or, or maybe it's, I do this because I'm blue on my personality test. And that's all that we get to. All we get to is, this is why I'm not good. This is the why, reason why I do this. And if that's the extent of how we connect with each other, that's not true closeness. I'd suggest that this is all of us being alone together. It doesn't point to how we can overcome or what that even means. The good news is this, that you aren't alone. Our God has had all the same temptations, has felt the same pain. He even tasted death. Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And even as he ascended into heaven, he encouraged his followers, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's spirit, we believe, becomes our helper and our guide and is pointing us toward the ways of Christ and transforming us to live differently. In exile, we can ask often, why is this happening to me? But maybe we need to ask the question, who is with me? It's clear that we find courage when we know we aren't alone, when we know that someone has our back. Personally, this has gotten me into trouble a handful of times. But when we know that God is present with us, we can receive a supernatural courage to endure anything. And so we've developed this deep knowing. And the good news is, is that faith doesn't require skill. You don't have to be good enough or smart enough or strong enough or, or handsome enough. But the life of faith does require courage. When we get it in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls, this deep knowing of the sovereign, eternal, present God, it begins to transform the way that we think and the way that we live and the way that we act. And all of a sudden, we can become empowered to live like Jesus invites us to. Why don't we pray together? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to know you better. We thank you that you are sovereign over the affairs of man, that you are writing humanity's story and you are working for the good of those who love you. We thank you that you are uh, uh, everlasting, that there are tons of things that we can build our lives on, but you are the only thing that lasts. And so when we build our lives on you, we're building on a sure bet.
And we thank you that in the midst of all that, you are not a distant God, but you show us through Jesus. You show us through your spirit that you are deeply present with your people and that we can have a meaningful relationship with you. We pray that this deep knowing would trigger something in our hearts and in our minds, that we would be encouraged to stand up for the ways of Jesus and and the ways of Christ, and that when we have this deep knowing, that all of a sudden we can build something meaningful within the culture around us. And I pray that we would receive that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for being with us. We love you. Take care. Thanks for joining us. If you are looking to get connected, we are one church in multiple locations. Our Aldergrove campus meets at Parkside Elementary School Sundays at 10.30. Our Abbotsford campus has three services each Sunday, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. We would love to see you at one of our in-person gatherings. If you would like to financially support us, you can always give at cscc.ca slash give. See you later.